Welcome to another episode of your friendly neighborhood film cast, a podcast where every week we spread the good word about movies. I am your host, Jack, and with me is returning guest, Audrey. How are you, Audrey? I'm good. Thank you for having me again, Jack. Very excited. I'm excited too, and I'm always happy to have you here. So this is good. Awesome. And today... We are talking about the 2017 film Baby Driver, directed by Edgar Wright and described by Google as Baby, a music-loving orphan, also happens to be the prodigiously talented go-to getaway driver for heist mastermind Doc. With the perfect soundtrack picked out for each and every job, Baby ensures Doc's violent, bank-robbing cronies, including Buddy, Bats, and Darling, get in and out of Dodge before it's too late. He's not in it for the long haul, though, hoping to nail one last job before riding off into the sunset with beautiful diner waitress Deborah. Easier said than done. It's a pretty good description, I have to say. Google doesn't always hit it on the head, but that one's pretty good. That is, and it, it gives you an idea of the plot, but... It doesn't really go too into detail, I would say, with the the twists and the turns. Yeah, it keeps it vague. It does. So, Audrey, what is your background with this movie and what are your overall thoughts? Which I think I have an idea of what your overall thoughts are, judging by the poster that was in (laughs) one of your apartments that I remember seeing. Yeah. You you remember, yes. (laughs) Um, so my background with this movie is my husband and I both went to film school and we love Edgar Wright and his films. So as soon as we heard about this movie coming out, we of course made sure to go see it in the theaters. Um, so once in theaters, got it on Blu-ray as soon as it came out, have watched it at least another four or five times since then. Um, just really enjoy Edgar Wright's cutting style, all the Easter eggs he likes to tie into his movies. The It's very fast-paced cutting, I feel. And my husband is also a huge music buff, so it was really exciting to hear, um, basically to watch something that basically felt like um, a really long music video. Mm-hmm. And we loved it, of course. So Good. Yeah. I would say possibly the best long music video If that were the case. Yes. I actually have heard it compared to a musical, except that Mm. people don't break out into song and dance because every single scene of the movie is intentionally underscored by whatever song Baby has chosen at the time. Or there's a few scenes where it's like something playing on the radio or where it's like um, something Deborah's singing or, you know, but every single scene is intentionally set to a song with lyrics and the movements and the choreography is all to that music, even if it's not dancing. Um, And then the scenes where there's no music, that's intentional too. Yeah, that is a very good analysis. I thought it was a good comparison, an apt comparison. Yeah, for sure. I will say that I wasn't super familiar with Edgar Wright's work up until seeing this movie. Um, I'm still not as familiar as I probably should be. I've only seen this and Scott Pilgrim versus the world in their entirety. Scott Pilgrim versus the world was my intro to Edgar Wright. um, And then 
I love Shaun of the Dead. I had a really huge zombie phase, so I watched Shaun mm-hmm. of the Dead. Um, and then my husband was like, well, you have to watch Hot Fuzz then. So that we watched that one, and then we caught World's End, which was the third in the Cornetto trilogy, quote-unquote, right? So... Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I am. He's one of the directors I am more familiar with because I really like how stylized he makes things. Nice. I do definitely want to dive into more of his filmography. I tried watching Shaun of the Dead probably a month or two ago, but I think given the current circumstances, I'm like maybe a zombie apocalypse movie isn't the vibe right now. So I'll give it another yeah, try. Yeah, I really. I really enjoyed zombie movies, and I do still to some extent, but they really hit different right now. So I don't think that I've watched a zombie movie in um, at least a year. So that is completely understandable. <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe start with. Um, I mean, they'll they'll all hit different right now because World's End is. Uh, about the end of the world so maybe also not great right now and then also depending on your feelings about police hot fuzz which is a very fun movie and only marginally about police still about police so yeah no kidding yikes and i know that that wasn't his intention (laughs) with any of those films but they just don't hit well right now oh my gosh it's just just not the same just not the same wow (laughs) Yeah, no kidding. I am looking forward to whatever One Night in Bangkok ends up being whenever that's released. Yeah. Let's hope for this year. Yeah, fingers crossed. But yeah, so um, when I saw that this movie was coming out, I think my introduction to it was through like a YouTube trailer when they show you that little five second watch the trailer online thing that you have to go through before you can watch a YouTube video. I think I was introduced to it through that, and I was intrigued enough that I did click on it. I was a little bit more laissez-faire about trailers a couple of years ago than I am now. (laughs) So uh, I watched it, and I was very intrigued by the concept and the ensemble cast, which I should just get out of the way. Very problematic now, but not problematic at the time. At the time, I know. I know. I'm like, I... I Kevin Spacey is someone where it's very hard for me to do the art versus artist like separation mm-hmm. um it helps in this one that he's not a good character for sure yeah <laughs> we've just we're just on a roll with these movies lately aren't we because like we did sorry to bother you and then all that stuff with Army Hammer was like mm, so <laughs> I know I couldn't believe it like weeks after we recorded that episode that came out I'm like oh I should re-listen to that episode and make sure we didn't say too much about him make sure we weren't just like fawning over him yeah. I think we were okay but oh my gosh yeah but so good to get that out of the way ahead of time you're right but it did have a really huge ensemble cast yeah it was just very exciting it looked very stylized and fun and I did see this in theaters, and I really enjoyed it, and I've watched it maybe twice Oh yeah, when it's been on cable, but it's definitely a movie that I want to get around to buying on Blu-ray. I just haven't done that yet, but I certainly will at some point in my lifetime. That's I, I feel like I've got a forever long list on Amazon of the movies I intend to buy. I just kind of every so often pick one off of it. <laughs> Same here. I think I'm going to have to do that soon because I keep resubscribing to Hulu just to watch Booksmart 
to the point where it's like I would save oh, more no. money if I just bought Book Smart. <laughs> because that's like all I watch when I go on there. Oh, that's so funny. <laughs> yeah, I need to do that. In fact, I might just do that after after we wrap this up. So just make a note. Yeah, probably good. Yeah, this will be a good <laughs> reminder. But uh yeah, I think that overall this movie has very impressive editing. And I think it helped that right around this time is when I started paying attention to editing more because I was taking more film classes. So I was very keyed into paying attention to that. And this was like the perfect example of just incredible editing in a movie. And I think that it has a really good balance of plot and action. Yeah. And it's just very well paced with everything that it's doing. And, uh, of course, it has a fun soundtrack. Yeah, that's something I really like about Edgar Wright movies is, like, his editing is just so tight. Like, every single cut is intentional, and he's going to speed up the cuts he's making when he wants to have, like, the the tension be heightened and stuff. And I know that on, like, some TV shows and stuff, there's a lot of, like, fast cutting because they're just cutting back and forth between, like, the two people talking these days. But, like, mm-hmm. Edgar Wright's not doing it because people people are talking. He's showing you what he wants to show you every single shot. And it's mm, just very good. Oh, it's so good. But, yeah, I think that those are the only overall thoughts I can give without getting into spoilers. So there's not a lot you can say before it starts being spoilery. <laughs> exactly. Is there anything else you want to say overall before we jump into spoilers? Um, The only thing that I have is, so John Hamm is in this movie. He's St. Louis hometown Mm -hmm. boy. And one of my favorite pieces of trivia about this movie is that the role of Buddy was written for him and no one else was ever considered. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. And he does amazing at it. It's like, I totally see why you picked him for the role. 100%. I didn't know that. That's pretty cool to know. Good for him. I am a sucker for movie trivia. So it's like the first thing I do after I watch a movie is like get on IMDb and pull up the trivia page and be like, okay, so how much of this is just going to be people telling me things that they noticed in the movie that I also noticed? And how much of this is going to be actual trivia? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's always a toss <laughs> up there, but always very interesting no matter what. Yep. Well, shall we take the train to Spoiler Town? We are kicking it into high gear and uh, changing (laughs) the song on the little iPod to uh, the spoiler song. So now we're in spoiler territory. What do you want to talk about first? Oh, gosh. Where to even start? The ending. We have to start at the ending. Okay. So at the end of the movie, he's uh, been sentenced. He's in prison, um, presumably for either killing buddy or for his connection to all these robberies right because the rest of the crew is dead at that point and he goes to jail and at the end we a guard gives him mail and then it's time to leave comes and he goes outside and deborah's waiting for him with this car retro car uh do you think that that's real i'm so glad that you asked this because i have the same (laughs) question I was going to ask you this as well. Yes. So I go back and forth on this a lot. The first time that I saw it, I didn't think it was real. Upon a rewatch, I did think it was real. And I did look this up. Apparently, Edgar Wright says it's up to interpretation. So both interpretations, or if someone has a third yep. interpretation, that would be just as uh, canon. But uh, 
I go back and forth on it all the time. I always come back to I don't think it's real. And I feel like that's really pessimistic of me. But it's just the lighting and like how everything's soft lit and he and Deborah are both Mm -hmm. dressed like really timeless and like it's an old car and stuff. And I know that there's like hints throughout it, like her being at a diner and things like that, um, that hint that their love is like this timeless thing. But that ending to me, I'm just like, that doesn't seem right. Like neither of them have aged and he got years in prison and like... Uh, mm-hmm. So for me, I think that I am firmly in the this isn't real camp. That's just my personal takeaway. The other thing for me that puts me in the this isn't real camp is the whole if this movie is like a musical, then the ending sequence is going to be something unreal, even if it's just imagined. Case in point, Grease. Mm-hmm. The car literally flies into the sky. I'm like that's not real. That's not that didn't really happen, right? But so this reads the same to me. Like that it's a wishful thinking, happy ending type thing he's imagining, set to the music that's playing at the time. But I could be wrong. <laughs> no, I I very much agree with that, and I think that that was the camp I was in when I first saw it, and have been back and forth on quite a bit and I think that I am more in that camp again maybe it's just the current mindset that's put me back in that but I I would completely agree and just by the fact that gosh I probably should have rewatched this a little bit closer to recording but if I'm remembering correctly the aspect ratio changes I know that it goes it from black to white and it does. everything yeah. about that just does not read as uh real it just feels like there's Edgar Wright couldn't have been more obvious about this is different than everything else that happened in this movie. Like the color Mm -hmm. correction changes and the costuming changes and yeah, aspect ratio. So for me, it's just like, eh, I just, I wish, I really wish that it was real, but I just don't think it is, especially in a movie where it's... So compared here, I'm I'm pulling this out of my butt. So this is just totally new. Um, Basically, the whole cast that was like largely involved in what happened is dead by then. So exactly like Hamlet, Mm -hmm. except in this case, our Hamlet is baby. He's not the character that gets to survive. Like in Hamlet, it's that's like that's not the case. Hamlet is dead at the end also. And so not that I think the baby's dead, Mm -hmm. but I think that he's just imagining a happier ending. I don't think that that's real. Like. Edgar Wright killed off every major character except for the foster father and Deborah, basically. So Yeah, that's that's very true. Which I, I do want to touch on that. I think that this movie does an incredibly good job of making the action look more fun and stylized in the beginning, but making it um, become more anxiety-inducing and sinister as the plot progresses. Because for the first third... Oh, yeah. Of the film, like the action is very fun and bloodless and victimless in a way. It feels victimless. Yeah, <laughs> nobody's hurt, right? Yeah, definitely. And then as it progresses, you start to see a higher body count and there's more blood and you see the direct consequences of these people's actions. And I think for me, the biggest turning point was, and I, I hate even having to describe this, but uh, when Jamie Foxx's character is impaled, 
I I don't remember oh, yeah. if I actually screamed out loud in the theater, but if I didn't scream out loud internally, I was screaming because I was so shocked <laughs> yeah. that I just witnessed that with my own two eyes. Yeah, it was really intense. And it I, I think that that's a good like indicator of, hey, you're in the third act now. Because it's basically mm-hmm. like first act is it's victimless. Baby thinks he's getting out fine second act is baby's not actually out and he mm-hmm. witnesses all this violence and like we were introduced to bats and he's starting to see like the consequences of this and then the third act is baby going okay enough's enough i'm gonna take it into my own hands and bats dies right and so it's just like whoa uh it it just like incrementally gets faster and more tense like you were saying mm-hmm. which is very smart i'm glad that they uh edgar wright knew to withhold until it wasn't time to withhold anymore and then just unleash it on you. I think it's way more effective that way. Yeah, he's not gratuitous with it. Like, the way in which yes. Jamie Foxx's character dies, absolutely brutal. The way in which uh, John Hamm's character dies, even though it's technically off screen, brutal. Totally mm-hmm. brutal. But, like, those are the only two massively brutal things, like, for major characters, right? And then we get a scene where... Mm-hmm. Uh, like the gun shootout, right? Where they're at the arms dealer or whatever. Like that's a pretty brutal scene, but like he's using them sparingly and he's spacing them out and he's making sure that they're being played to greatest effect. Mm-hmm. So what else do you want to touch on? Because I have a few other things, but I feel like I can segue into them through other points that you want to talk about. I, so the opening sequence, which like, I guess this is not really spoilery ter- territory, but um, the opening sequence, which is set to bell bottoms right um mm-hmm. and then shoot what's he listen to after that when he's getting the coffee that's all one long shot right and all the graffiti and the signs and stuff are like showing the lyrics and stuff that was like me sitting in the theater like with my jaw hanging open even like having known edgar wright's writing style and his tendency to do easter eggs and stuff just being like oh my god like he is literally walking to the beat and then like later on being like the gunshots are on beat like this is four four time like it was just really gratifying. I was when this came out too. I had just mixed the audio for um, my husband's short film for his capstone, and so I was just like in that yeah. mode. And I was like, "This is amazing! <laughs> like this is a dream." So um, yeah, that I mean, that's not that's not like a plot point necessarily, but that's just another like technical aspect of this movie where I was like, "Holy crap! Like absolutely amazing." But also with that, so part of it, part of, so the explanation for baby listening to music all the time is that he was in a car crash when he was young, where he, when he lost his parents, that's the crash that orphaned him. Um, mm-hmm. He has tinnitus as a result of the crash. So then here is my love-hate relationship with this movie. I have tinnitus. <laughs> Under the scenes where there are no music, there is a faint high-pitched ringing mm-hmm. sound that is is loud it grows louder or quieter depending on how bad baby's tinnitus is at the time it absolutely set off my tinnitus oh no (laughs) so watching this movie is me being like okay okay i just gotta wait till the music starts oh no oh my gosh (laughs) it's fine like it's still enjoyable and everything but it's definitely like i know exactly where those scenes are in the movie because they are by far the most tense and difficult scenes for me to get through and it's not because of the editing it's because of the sound wow well i guess that kind of helps that they make it accurate like that it's an accurate 
portrayal. Oh, it is a very accurate representation. And I certainly don't have it as bad as like the yeah. characters implied to have it. Like I, I don't have tinnitus like all the time. It's just certain sounds and frequencies will set it off. And that's very frustrating. <laughs> it was nice. Like it was nice to see it addressed. And it was, I also felt really gratifying to see um, a deaf character played by a deaf actor in this movie too, because his foster father is deaf. Um, and so they were, I know sign language, I know ASL. So <laughs> like, we, I remember watching this the first time and going, oh my gosh, like, that's so cool. So, um, I'm like, I'm all for it. I really love it. And I know that like when Edgar Wright was doing the casting for that role, he basically auditioned a bunch of people. Um, the actor they hired was the only deaf person to audition. And basically after he auditioned, Edgar Wright saw a couple more people and was just like, well, this just seems silly. Like we have to hire the the person who is actually deaf. And I was like, that's great. Representation and casting. We need it. Yes, we do. And I'm very happy to hear that because I didn't know that he was deaf. Yep. So that's good. I think that that's one of my favorite aspects of this movie is the very sweet storyline with baby's foster dad yes it just has so much heart to it and it was nice to see i mean baby never seems like an antagonist at any point but it was just nice to have that through line of him deeply caring for someone that he wasn't romantically interested in and wanting to protect that person at all costs and I was very happy that uh, Joseph ended up being okay. Yes, me too. I I love that plot. I thought it was great. Kind of on the same subject, although not kind of though. Um, eh, I I do understand the criticisms with Deborah's lack of development, but at the same time, I don't know what to tell you people. You know, it. I know. Not every movie is I going know. to have a fully developed romantic interest no matter what the gender is I still think she's great she has a great presence and uh this is the second Lily James movie we've talked about so there's that too yes I love Lily James I just think she's great and she's got a great voice and so um I don't know I like now that you've said it I'm like okay so there weren't really any developed female characters in this movie but I also think that I wasn't looking for that in this movie necessarily. Mm-hmm. Um, like I just, I enjoyed the story and Deborah functions really well in the context of what Edgar Wright's trying to get across. Like mm-hmm. we only see her through baby's lens because we're seeing the whole movie through baby's lens. We're seeing everything through baby's lens because we're listening to his soundtrack of his life and mm-hmm. so I think it makes sense to me that the way Deborah per- is portrayed is pretty one-dimensional and pretty idealized I think yeah and I also think that that's partly why I think that the ending's not real is <laughs> because she's super idealized in the ending that's very true and I think that that is one aspect of the ending although not the possible fantasy sequence part of the ending but I think that the payoff with all of those witnesses testifying on baby's behalf was a very good actual ending to this just because you see how much his small actions really made a difference and all of those people that he was looking out for in small ways it really meant a lot to them and it meant a lot to me that they were willing to stick up for him yeah I do I think that that's a fair point that like the movie could have ended there 
without us knowing whether or not he's convicted and I would have still been happy with it you know for sure I know now that I'm thinking about I'm like that could have actually been a more satisfying ending right wow oh man clearly you should have edited the movie I couldn't have done as good of a job though (laughs) that's a great idea yeah now I wish that that was the place where it ended we'll have to use our editing skills and (laughs) make a cut where it just cuts off like the last three minutes maybe not even three minutes see how the movie holds up that way do you have any other notes that you want to touch on oh I do have one more the mixtapes baby's (laughs) mixtapes they're so ridiculous and um Mm -hmm. it was just a very funny like through line I guess um of the plot like that he records and mixes stuff and then that gets him in trouble later Mm -hmm. and when they scatter those cassettes all over the table I'm like how long have you been doing this man yeah no kidding and I think that was a good way of incorporating music into the movie when it wasn't set to a soundtrack or set to the score that there was still more music to be made yep this movie is like super tense for me to watch and i really like it because i feel like that's the intent um i rewatched this with my sister and my husband uh the other day to prepare for the episode my sister really loves this movie she does not find it as like anxiety inducing because it reads like a parody to her. She's like, everyone Aww. is a character. Like, that's the point of the, like, nicknames that they're using. It's not just, like, their criminal cover-up. It's like, this is just an exaggerated version of, like, this character trope. And I was like, I mean, that makes sense. And I haven't thought about it that way. And now I need to watch it again <laughs> immediately. Yeah. But it's like, their names are all descriptive of who they are, right? Like, Doc is the mastermind, and Darling is basically, like, a sex pot. And Buddy is friendly till he's not. Mm-hmm. And Bats is bat shit and uh yeah and then baby is like the youngest and the most innocent and so i was just like that's such an interesting take on it and that makes total sense why you're just like wow this is mostly just funny and not like a thriller yeah no kidding i'm definitely gonna have to rewatch this now with that lens i yeah I just thought it was a really interesting take and I was like, you know what? I can buy it. I could see this just being a total parody because especially with Edgar Wright's track record, like the, so Shaun of the Dead, it's like a parody of a zombie movie. Hot Fuzz is a parody of a cop movie and um, World's End, while I think reads darker in general than his other movies, is definitely a parody of like a post-apocalypse movie. So I mean, this just is, like, right on track for him. Wow, this has really opened my eyes. (laughs) Did you have anything else you wanted to mention? I don't think I did. I was able to touch on everything that I really wanted to get out there in the world, so. Awesome. Any final thoughts? I wish that more movies went as balls to the wall with their soundtracks as this one, I guess, because... It's just very fun and it was nice to see like a movie set in the present set against retro songs so um really enjoyed that a lot 
easy by the Commodores comes to mind. I'm like, mm, yes, great, great tonal movie. So I really enjoyed it. I like, I know that it costs a lot of money to, to get the music rights to a bunch of songs and stuff, but really glad that they spent the time doing it. Yes, there is nothing I love more than a very carefully constructed needle drop in a movie. Oh, absolutely. Especially a retro one, like you mentioned. Yeah. This was perfect. Well, I must ask you now, have you watched any good movies or TV shows lately? So I'm not going to say that this movie is good, per se, but I really enjoyed it. Kong Skull Island. Okay. So I am gearing up for Godzilla versus Kong. Yes. Uh, <laughs> so next up is King of the Monsters. So I'm sure I will talk about that the next time we're together. But um, so Aaron and I watched Kong Skull Island and that movie was not great in terms of like writing. There were way too many characters and they didn't flesh any of them out. However, it was beautiful to look at and just amazing monster design and whoever the costume designer was that put both Tom Hiddleston and Brie Larson in those shirts knew what they were doing and uh and lastly there's a scene where Tom Hiddleston is in a gas mask with a katana cutting through like monster baby pterodactyls so like what more do you need you know man I okay so I did try watching Kong Skull Island a few weeks ago and I wasn't, I just don't think I was in the mood to watch it. And it it started off so balls to the wall silly that I was like, I can't do this right now. But I mean, it stays pretty balls to the wall, but it does at like a middle point kind of shift to a, oh no, this is survival oh. horror. And so like, if you can get through the beginning, mm-hmm. like silliness and get to the part where they're on the island and in their separate groups in general, you should probably be able to get through it. I will say, it's not interesting. <laughs> like there, there are times where you're like, "Why am? Why are we even seeing this person?" Like wh- there are just way too many characters, like far too many characters. But if you watch it just to see how beautiful the place is and just to see how cool the monsters mm-hmm. are, like totally worth it. Okay, good to know. I, I do really want to watch it before Godzilla versus Kong because. I didn't even have to see the trailer. I just know that it is going to be beautiful trash, and I am so excited to watch it from the comfort of my home whatever day it is that it comes out. So I need yes. to prepare myself. I just have to be in the mood for it. So I know. Monster movies are, are like, they're just in a weird spot, I feel like, because they're almost always a war movie analog. And so, mm-hmm. like... I I really love them and I really love the genre, but it definitely is like takes a certain mindset if you're watching by yourself. Because like I'll watch any movie if I'm watching with other people as Same a social here. thing. Yeah. But like if I'm watching by myself, I really got to hit the right like mood. <laughs> For sure. I'm going to have to pitch it to my movie discord then. Maybe that'll be a good one. You should. It's really, like I said, it's really silly. It's just very silly. But the monsters are so cool. Like, they had so much fun with it. And if, like, Tom Hiddleston for the people who like the the men, Brie Larson for the people who like the ladies, like, you got everything. It's great. The costume director did great. So, um, 
And also there was no shoehorned romance, which I was expecting. So very good plus for me. God bless. I'm so happy to hear that. Anytime there's not a shoehorned romance, I'm like, good on you. Good on you for doing that. I'm like, you could read it that way if you really want to, but they didn't make it explicit. And with the way it reads as survival horror, to me, it all just reads like, oh, we're just happy we're alive like, and not alone, basically. So I was like, yeah, this is great. Good. What about you? Have you watched anything interesting lately? Oh, man. Do I have some stuff to talk about? So um, this kind of is reminiscent of when you talked about Happiest Season and how you were like, I need to watch The Holiday now after watching Happiest Season, if I remember that correctly. So Yes. Yeah. Because Happiest Season was advertised as a romantic comedy and was not. Yeah. So... Over the weekend, I watched The Little Things, which is the new movie on HBO Max that features Denzel and Rami. I'm on first name basis with them. I don't have to explain who they Uh, are. I love both of them. But uh, (laughs) it was fine, perfectly serviceable, but I mean, really nothing special in any way. So now I'm like, I need to watch a good crime drama. Yeah. So I ended up, which this is completely different, but still a crime drama. I ended up watching Sicario. Oh, I have heard of that, but I don't think I've watched it. If you are in the mood for it ever, I would highly recommend it. Mm -hmm. I don't want to give much away, but it is about drug cartels. That have Benicio Del Toro in it? Yes, him and Emily Blunt. And also, I just want to give a shout out to Daniel Kaluuya, who is in a supporting role. And nobody talks about the fact that he's in it, but he's so good, always. So I have to give him a shout out. But yeah, this movie is incredibly well made, very tense, very suspenseful, filled with lots of dread. Even though it's technically a crime drama, I would almost categorize it as a horror movie in terms of the way it builds like dread and tension Ooh. and suspense. So if you just go into it without watching the trailer, I think you'll find it to be very horrifying. <laughs> awesome. But yeah, it's well worth watching. So that was a good one to follow up with. Glad to hear it. Yeah. And then in other movies, I've been watching nothing fictional, more on the documentary side. I watched Class Action Park on HBO Max. Okay. That's the one about the the the, the theme park, the like like roller coasters and stuff, right? And they kept having all those accidents. Yes. It is uh okay. another thing that could be seen as a horror movie because of how horrifying it is. Oh gosh. But uh fascinating though just very interesting to see how um of course unfortunately uh the timing is not so good seeing how negligence can result in death and uh stuff like Uh that but uh it was a fascinating watch and um something that which I'm not much of a documentary person in general not that I dislike them but For me, once I learned in film class that documentaries have an agenda and are as much a work of fiction and narrative as anything else that you're seeing in my mind was blown and I couldn't stop thinking about that for weeks. I was I did documentaries when I was in film school. I was I preferred that to fiction. So it's uh, yeah, very constructed, not in the same way that like reality TV is, but constructed. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. 
So that one is well worth checking out. And then a mini series that I've been watching is The Imagineering Story on Disney Plus, which is a completely different docu-series that wants to show you the ideal theme park and doesn't even get into any of Walt Disney's uh, questionable background. It's just like, he makes things and people help him. <laughs> but uh, it's it's interesting. I've just been in a theme park mood lately. So that's really been good. That's good. Yeah. The only other thing I've been watching is, so my sister and I have been watching Lucifer together. Is so campy and so dumb, and I love it. Uh-huh. I can't stop watching it. It's so dumb. We just started season four, which is when it got acquired by Netflix. So the production quality is already better, mm-hmm. which is nice, and the writing quality is already better, which Good. is really nice because season three was a absolute trash heap. Um, d- and like, I'm sorry, you have Tom Welling in the season, and you cast him as like the most interesting character so far, and then you drag it out for like ten episodes too many. <laughs> Ugh, just a waste. Oh geez. But it was it's good. I'm enjoying it. I also just started The Untamed, which is a Chinese drama period piece fantasy thing about uh this like Ooh. reincarnated uh guy who got killed because he's like a necromancer kind of or like a demonologist kind of I think I don't know we're only a couple episodes in and the first ones are very confusing I'm told so they will make more sense as it goes along but it's very good nice I will have to check that one out that sounds interesting yeah that one's on Netflix so good it is good that there's a lot of stuff on Netflix makes it very accessible yes (laughs) all right Well, Audrey, do you have anything that you would like to plug at this time? Oh, just the usual. So I am uh, the co-host of another podcast called Mordor She Wrote. I read Lord of the Rings with my friend Kayla, who has never read it before. And I am a huge aficionado. I actually just got a Lord of the Rings tattoo. So um, we release all the time. So you can find us at Mordor underscore She Wrote pod. I think. Maybe leave the pod out on Twitter and everything. I know Jacqueline will put that in the in the show notes, so I'm not worried about it. <laughs> um, and then I co-author a sci-fi uh, 5e, D&D 5e adaptation called Spaceships and Starworms, and you can find us at Starworms on Twitter. And that's what I've got. Very nice. You can find the podcast at your FN Filmcast on Twitter. And you can email us at friendlyneighborhoodfilmcast at gmail.com. I, I welcome suggestions, questions, really anything. I mean, I feel like eventually I'm going to have to make a mailbag episode if people send in questions just to kind of have something on the backlog. But yeah, thanks everyone. Bye.